You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. Yes, and don't have a nice day. Okay, uh, you weren't involved in this. Don't worry about it. I mean, I'm, have a good one. Okay, have a good one. Don't have a nice day. I don't know good what, but something. All right. Uh, wonder what Anarchy is all about. It is about having a nice day. Anarchos comes from the Greek. It means without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle about? It's the struggle to share power and hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. So if you're involved in that struggle at any time during your life, you have been adulterated by the anarchist ideology. That's right. Inequalities in power and wealth. That's what that struggle is all about. You can do a 500,000 intellectual dissertation on the history and the ideology and the philosophy of anarchism, but it comes down to two basic principles. And those basic principles revolve around the concept of what gives a ruler power to determine the lives of billions of people. And it's inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to create a society which is based on possibly, and let's use the word possibly, direct democratic principles where the people involved in the decision make that decisions, where the commonwealth is used for the common good. All right, let's move on. Now, a lot of people think here at the Anarchist World this week we are tilting at windmills. You know, Don Quixote, tilting at windmills. And a lot of people say, why bother? Why waste your time? Why not sit back and sip a good wine and, you know, eat something? You know? Why bother? Why tilt at windmills. I'm sure most of you would have known a little bit about the uh, story about Don Quixote, which is all made up, obviously. The plains of La-, La Mancha on his little horse, lance in hand, Sancho Panza, his, uh, I think it's Sancho Panza, I could be wrong, his loyal servant behind him, you know, and he's shaking his head as his master tilts at the windmill, thinking this is an impossible impossible, impossible direction. This is an impossible journey you've embarked on. 
See, the Atticus journey is not an impossible journey because think about a windmill, a traditional windmill, a Don Quixote windmill. You've got the solid structure, right? You know, where they grind the wheat or the corn or whatever. And then you've got a structure attached to the solid structure which has sails on it, cloth sails. Not metal sails, but cloth sails. And as they go around, they generate the energy to grind whatever they're grinding, you know, wheat for bread. So think about it. Now, Don Quixote's got a lance, and Don Quixote's on a horse, and he's attacking. He's not attacking the windmill. He's attacking the cloth. And irrespective of what, it, what happens is you can rip that cloth with that lance. And it's a good analogy to political, social, cultural struggle. It's a good analogy to the anarchist struggle. Now, we have in society everything that we need to create a more egalitarian community. We have it. The infrastructure is there. The physical infrastructure is there. You don't need to go back to year zero in order to create an anarchist society, one based on the devolution of power and the sharing of wealth. The structures are there. What we have is a social relationship where we accept, as a people, not everybody, but you know, 99%, maybe 99.9%, accept the status quo. Some people accept the status quo because the status quo is what you know, gives them a leg up. People like Teresa Wright, who bought a house for $6 million, then flipped it six months later for $9 million to a good friend, Gina Reinhardt, you know. They're part of the system. That's the way it goes, isn't it? You know, you got money, you need money to make money. Then you've got other people who are barely surviving on the Social Security benefit who think the system's great. You know, who worship Queen Lizzie, who, uh, you know, just go about their day-to-day lives, you know, eking out an existence. So we have a social relationship where we accept there are rulers and ruled and we tend to shrug our shoulders as a society and as individuals and as communities and say, why bother? Change is impossible. Nothing will ever change. Nothing ever changes as far as humanity is concerned. Well, I'm afraid to differ. Things do change. And they change because of the Don Quixote's of the world who make a tear in the fabric which binds us together as a community. 
It's these people who make a difference. Now, if you think nothing ever changes, I suggest you go back to feudal Europe and see what life was like for people in that system. Think about it. If you think that life never changes, I suggest you go back a a few centuries when slavery was all the norm and people were, you know, waving the Bible to tell us that slavery is okay. And as we saw with Islamic State, people waving the Koran, telling us slavery's okay. All right? So why bother? You bother because change is possible. But with no ideas, change is not possible. If every day you are confronted with the same reality the same discussion, the same experts. It's obvious that change will not, is not possible. And that social fabric, that cloth on the windmill, will continue to wave in the wind and the products and the services which are produced by that windmill continue to profit an exceptionally small minority. That's the situation we find ourselves in today. Because although we're told we have a free press and social media and an exchange of ideas, the reality is there is no exchange of ideas or minimal exchange of ideas. It's all about consumption. I mean, if you really want to discuss or outline what life is like in a private investment for private profit world, and that's what we live in, where every human interaction is based on that concept, whether it's individual interaction, interaction between you and a business and a corporation, what you've got to understand is that capitalism is all about generating profits irrespective of the human social environmental and personal costs. That's why we have a climate emergency. It's very simple. So going back to this analogy of Don Quixote ripping the cloth on the windmill, because that's what we are. Ultimately, we are Don Quixotes. Not that figure of fun and ridicule that Don Quixote is you know, is, is explained as, you know, we're, we're told. But that Don Quixote, who through their actions can rip that cloth and change the social interactions which occur in society. But in order for that social interactions to occur and for change to occur, we need fresh ideas to become part and parcel of common everyday discussion. Now we've seen these changes occur on the periphery in our society 
in terms of single issues. But we have not seen any push to bury the private investment for private profit economic model which causes so much harm to so many people to so m- and, and to every life form on this planet. So, why are we using this analogy? Now, there are... We need to be realistic. We're basically marginalised people. Most people don't even understand what we're talking about most of the time, you know? They accept, they accept the status quo, breads and circuses, that's what it's about. And if you live in a parliamentary democracy, or a rep- I don't like to use it democracy, but representative democracy, there are options, there are times, there are times where you can use the processes to introduce ideas into the community. And as the stresses, which are caused by growing inequality, increase, you can use those processes, as I said before, to inculcate new ideas into the community, to rip that cloth which keeps the windmill turning and grinding the wheat or grinding us if you want to remove the wheat and put us in that windmill because it's our labour it's our passion that it keeps the windmill functioning and if you can change the sails you can use the infrastructure to change the type of society we have. And the classical example is the climate emergency. Everybody thinks that the way forward with the climate emergency, a win-win situation, is through green capitalism. For using the same investment model which created the climate emergency in the first place to deal with the climate emergency, and that's private investment for private profit, centralised energy sources. So that's why I bother, and I'm sure that's why most of you bother to become involved, whether you become involved in assisting financially, in giving moral support, giving physical support to people who are involved in that struggle to put a tear in the cloth of that windmill which keeps the system going. Now in Victoria there will be a state election at the end of the year and in every other state there's been an election and we've just seen a federal election. Now the dilemma with elections is that you need resources in order to conduct a campaign to raise issues and ideas. And what we see in the media in this country, whether it's the social media or the legacy media, it's the same concept over and over again, what we see is a rehashing 
the same concepts, the same ideas. And those people that have resources, both physical resources, that's a political party, and financial resources, tend to dominate the social, political agenda of the day. And elections are no difference. Those two candidates who won, and good luck to them, their seats, needed financial backing, up to a million dollars in each federal seat in order to conduct a reasonable campaign, because that's the nature of representative democracy. Although it gives an illusion that everybody has an equal chance, when the reality is you don't. But with a good campaign, you can raise ideas. Now, I'm, I'm amazed, normally, by the lack of interest by so-called activists in that process because it's all too hard. It's not too hard. Now, currently in Victoria and the rest of Australia, we have this interesting situation, a fascinating situation, where we are in the midst of a construction boom for construction's sake. Everywhere you go, you see state government and federal government money being invested in building things. Reminds me of, you know, ancient Rome. You know, the bigger the palace, the greater the, the response. It reminds me, to a significant degree, of the situation before the French Revolution as we've had Bastille down the 14th of July a, few, a week ago, where we saw the Palace at Versailles become extraordinary while the people around that palace were dying of starvation. And to a significant degree, we find ourselves in a similar situation around Australia we have governments at the local, state and federal level, especially at the state level, because it's their responsibility to a significant degree under the Australian Constitution, spending billions on construction while ignoring basic human need. I have never seen the situation so difficult in terms of governments ignoring basic human needs. So what are basic human needs? And I'm not talking about the philosophical, psychological needs we all have as we're part of a, you know, a, a tribe or a clan, but I'm talking about simple physical needs. Things like food security, Simple food security in a nation as rich as Australia with barely 26 million people. Things like housing security. Things like, as we're seeing with the COVID-19 pandemic and the ageing of the population, access to health care. Access to education access to recreation, 
But no, we have decided as a community, not us, you and me, that the construction blitz, because it employs people, is much more important than individual and community food security, access to housing, access to health, access to education, access to recreation. Think about it. Think about it. This state election, every state election in this country, should be based on the concept of the state providing basic human needs as first and its first and foremost responsibility. If there's one government in Australia at the state level that has ignored this mantra, it's the Andrews-led Labor Party, which lost its way a long, long, long time ago. So if in a state election coming up, we'll be told about the number of railway crossings that have been removed, we'll be told about the tunnel that's been built, a private-public partnership with one of the most avarice corporations on the planet, Transurban. We'll be told about the loop, underground loop that's been built. But will we be talking about food security for all Victorians and all Australians? No. We'll be talking about public housing. Obviously not in Victoria, because this government over the last last 20 years has embarked on a privatisation program as far as housing is concerned. And what happens when there is no competition between the private and the public sector? Because there's no public housing sector, you know, worthy of mention. There's no competition and housing prices and rents escalate. And with increasing interest rates, it becomes an issue for everybody. Access to public health. It's all very well having private health insurance, but you'll find that most of the private insured uh, hospitals charge fees on top of the private health insurance, quite extensive fees, and more importantly, they cherry-pick the type of patients which they treat. So we do find that if we have a major illness or involved in a major traumatic incident, we will find ourselves in the public hospital sector. And when... You don't have a hospital sector that's adequately staffed and adequately funded and that has been partially privatised. That's right. Privatised catering, privatised wards help, privatised, you know, and it goes on, uh, pathology, privatised radiology, all within a so-called public health system you do find there are issues, especially if there are increased pressures on that health system, which we are seeing today because of the COVID-19 and influenza issues, as well as all the issues related to an ageing population. Then when we come to education, this is one of the things that I find most disturbing. Well, I find the health issues and food security and housing all disturbing, but I find education quite disturbing because we now have a situation, and I do mention this almost every week, where we have privately owned charities raising money 
to ensure that kids that go to public schools from families without the resources can actually participate in every aspect of that public school education because so many things have been privatised in the public education sector that many children cannot be involved in all the activities because their parents or guardians don't have the money to pay for those activities. While, if you have the resources to send your kiddies to a private school and the more resources you have, the greater the possibilities that your kiddies have in, 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 their, in the private education sector. And then when it comes to recreation, I despair at the fact that at least half this population of this country never has a decent break because they can't afford to have a decent break because they're spending all their time paying for basic necessities. So with the next state election around the corner, there is possibilities to introduce new ideas into the public discussion. That doesn't mean that those new ideas are going to become a reality tomorrow. And this is the problem that most people have. They think that everything is going to change tomorrow. When you're involved in social struggle and political struggle for as long as I have, you've realised very quickly that things don't change tomorrow. We don't have a Sri Lankan situation here where the whole government has collapsed or a Lebanese situation. Things don't change tomorrow. So it is important that we do bother because we all can be Don Quixote. We can all rip down, not the windmill, not even the blades that hold the cloth which moves the wind. But we can change the sailcloth on the windmill. And the first step towards change is to promote ideas that will create change. Now, next week, I'll be looking at the same issue, but I'll be giving out some ideas on policy changes in terms of simple reforms. Not revolution, not blood in the streets, simple parliamentary reforms. Now, if you're interested in this campaign, and I haven't made a decision at this stage whether to stand or not, I will be making a decision at the end of August, depending on the amount of support, financial support, physical support, uh, if you go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the public, you'll uh, see a lot of that information there. But I will expound on this particular issue next week, on the Anarchist World This Week. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Insecurity and debt, 21st century handcuffs. You know, when people talk about wage slavery, it's an interesting interesting concept, isn't it? When slavery was abolished in the United States after the Civil War, most people who were slaves who were freed found themselves in exceptionally difficult economic circumstances. And most many found themselves in, especially in those there where their masters were a little bit more uh, liberal, 
than before the Civil War. Now today, in the 21st century, we do have handcuffs. And these handcuffs are insecurity, that's job insecurity, income insecurity, and even if you're on a social security benefit, the insecurity of having Centrelink hassle you on a daily basis and debt. Now we like to use the word borrow, you borrow money. We don't borrow money from financial institutions. We buy money. We buy debt. And in order for to survive in a private investment for private profit world where there is no public, minimal public housing, poor public health, poor public education, no public security for a section of the population, and the list goes on and on, we need to, most Australians find themselves in debt. So what is debt? The word borrow is a very nice word, isn't it? Borrow. Can I borrow a cup of sugar for my meth lab, said the biker who lived next door to me, and I said, no, I don't use sugar in my life. All right. Can I borrow your whippersnipper? No, I don't have a whippersnipper. Sorry, mate. So borrow, it's nice, isn't it? We borrow money from the bank. No, the bank sells us money. Financial institutions sell us money. Whether it's an interest rate or a fee, and we've seen a lot of so-called uh, virtual platforms now provide money for a fee, all right? So we have this situation, right, where we buy money. For example... If I'm in a little bit of financial difficulty and I've got all the right ticks next to my name that I will repay the debt, say if I borrow $100,000 for um, 10 years at 10%, at the end of 10 years, you'll be paying back at least dollars $150,000. $150, so the person who gave you, the financial institution which gave you 100000 makes a profit of 50000 So actually, so insecurity, job insecurity, which has become a, a real issue today, and debt are the modern-day handcuffs which handcuff us to the system we find ourselves in. And that's why so many people are so scared to become involved in activity which challenges that small section that own the means of the production, distribution, exchange and communication and most of the parliamentary puppets which put forward their legislative agenda. So insecurity and debt, 21st century Manacles. Now, I've heard a lot of, well, we hear a lot of stories now about climate emergency, species extinction, record temperatures in Europe, fires, floods. We even got pestilence. <laughs> All we need is the locusts for this. <laughs> All we need is the locusts. Well, it's true. 
Now, there's one thing you understand as a activist is that most of the things I've been involved in in the last 55 years have come to pass. They come to pass. And although initially we're ostracised, marginalised, laughed at, derided, ridiculed, it comes to pass. And it's the same with the climate emergency. The climate emergency is here. And although we're all concerned about keeping warm because we may not have enough gas, the fact is the climate emergency is here. And what do we see? We see people trying to sell us the last seat on the last train to hell by saying, well, well, we can deal with it. Let's, let's use the same economic model that got us into this mess to solve this mess, the private investment for private profit model. And over, almost overnight, we've seen an explosion of the role that green capitalism is supposed to play in resolving the climate emergency. Now, capitalism is, is a simple concept. There's nothing magic about it. It's about generating profit. And if you are interested in generating profit irrespective of the human, social, environmental and personal needs of people, you may be able to put back the climate emergency through green capitalism for a decade or so. But what we need, as we all know, but are not willing to face, is a fundamental change in the way we live. A fundamental change a fundamental change in terms of deciding how we survive. It needs to be fundamental. And if we, if, it, if we don't have these fundamental changes in terms of the way we produce things, the way we interact, the climate emergency will continue to become a real issue. And when you have... An acute crisis, what do you see? You see knights in shining armour coming down, screaming, we've got the solution. Leave it up to us. And the reality is there are no knights in shining armour. See, the dilemma is we live in a me, 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 not we society. For far too long, we have been told we can be whatever we want to be. We can do whatever we want to do, irrespective of the needs of us as a community. We are not isolated individuals. Every day, every action I take and every action you take has an impact on other people. And as a society... We have a societal impact. So if we are driven by a, by a private investment for private profit model, which is based on individual consumption and the satisfi satisfaction of artificially created human needs, 
then we will never think of the bigger picture. Now, it's fascinating, isn't it? Whenever there's a natural disaster, we're told, you know, ad nauseum, look at people, they're pulling together. It's a natural disaster. The reality is that in a natural disaster, if you don't pull together, you die. It's that simple. You need to pool your resources in order to resolve the issue. So are we pooling our resources? We're not. We've created a society and a community where a rapidly decreasing number of people have increasing aspect to this country's wealth. We've created a society where we see people getting richer at the expense not just of individuals and society, but at the expense of the climate, at the expense of the species. Just look at that new analysis of, regarding species survival in this country. So think about it. If you think green capitalism is going to solve the climate emergency without making major adjustments to the type of society we have, society based on the satisfaction of artificially created human needs, society based on the centralisation of power and energy sources, a society based on increasing inequalities, a society based on the concept that the public is good, the public is, public is bad and private is good, well, we are going to get more of the same, irrespective of whether it's a you know, a nice Australian Labor Party or a nasty coalition government. It really makes no difference at the end of the day if those in power are not willing to make those changes. Now, I understand that Mr Morrison, the former Prime Minister, you may have forgotten his name, a very forgettable gentleman, was giving a a lecture in West Australia or a sermon in West Australia to, you know, some like-minded Pentecostals. And he said to trust in God. Don't trust in governments. Well, as an anarchist, I don't trust in God and I don't trust governments. All right? I don't see God putting her hand down and saying, let's resolve this mess that's been created here on earth by you. And I don't see governments, as we see them today, doing the same. I mean... And the only people we can trust are those people around us. And if we don't collectively create the institutional structures to address these issues, not solve them but address these issues, they'll continue to fester. And what happens when you've got a boil and it festers? You get a crater. And what happens when you get a crater? You get septicemia. And what happens when you get septicemia? You die. It's very simple. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscone, hosting today's program. Let's move on. Did you know that during this COVID nineteen pandemic, we've had record profits? You know, record company profits. I'm not talking about record profits by micro and small business, who've basically many have gone to the wall and continue to go to the wall. 90% of Australian businesses that are created will be bankrupt or closed down within five years. Because, you see, if you're in a micro or small business, 
you know different to a significant degree that somebody who's a wage slave on a minimum wage or somebody on social security benefits because you need to compete with these huge corporations whether it's the food industry whether it's health whether it's um, gyms you name it whether it's education preschool care um, you know aged care sector so it's an unfair field and so but we do have seen courtesy of government policy record profits now where have these record profits gone have they gone into wages growth no you wouldn't expect them to go into wages growth because basically trade unions have been legislated out of existence we do live in a country where it's illegal to strike outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period and if you do you can be fined up to ten thousand dollars per worker per day so you know so where is all this profits gone well, traditionally they'd go overseas, you know, because most, most, many of these corporations are not Australian-owned and profits go overseas and that's the way it works. I mean, we've got Australian corporations overseas like uh, BHP and Rio Tinto and uh, they, you know, supposedly bring back uh, profits to Australia, but it doesn't work that way because you know what's been happening? Because most of these corporations are listed on the Australian stock, exchange, stock exchanges around the world and they rely on keeping their shareholders, and especially their major shareholders, happy. What we've seen, these profits, is they haven't gone back to the workers in terms of wage rises, and they haven't gone back to customers who continue to be screwed by most of these major corporations, although they've got lovely, slick advertising which tells us to have a, a nice day. The fact is... What we're seeing is what are called share buybacks. What that means is the companies are reinvesting in their shareholders. They're not reinvesting in society. They're not using those profits to expand those industries. No. They're reinvesting in their shareholders. So screw the workers that make the profit screw the customers and clients who buy the services. It's all about the shareholders. And that's the nature of capitalism, private investment for private profit. You've got to look after the people who give you the money to do your business. Let's move on. Coalition criminality. What I love about the Liberal National Party is how bare-faced they are when they destroy this company. Talk about pigs at, you know, gorging themselves courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. Now, there are over 80 federal government instrumentalities in this country, from Australia Post to many others I too long to name and they've all got boards and these board members determine to a significant degree the type of society we live in especially in the public sector and what the coalition government has done over the last decade 
is stacked these boards with political appointments. Things like the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. You think, oh, what's the Administrative Appeals Tribunal? Well, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal plays a very important part in the life of refugees and asylum seekers. As most applications are rejected by the department, many, you know, many wait years to appear before the Administrative and Appeals Tribunal to, you know, talk about their case and get a decision, a final decision, regarding whether they're going to be deported or get permanent protection. Well, we've seen the Administrative Appeals Tribunal stacked with coalition dead weight. That's all it is, coalition dead weight. So you can imagine the impact these people are going to have on Australia, irrespective of whether you've got a Labor government or not, You know, which makes the right noises, but no, no, might, will not introduce the right policies, but at least it makes the tut-tut noises you know, to calm things down. And then we see these same political appointments, and these are bare-faced political appointments. Failed politicians, coalition politicians who've lost their seats, coalition politicians who've retired, and I know they all do it, but nobody has ever appointed 20% of board members solely on political connections. The Australian War Memorial is a classical example of hacks being appointed to administer this important institution. The Australian Museum, the Australian National Gallery, Australia Post, CSIRO, the list goes on and on and on and on. So although there's been a change in the political ideology of those that exercise power, we now find ourselves in a situation where the institutions which have been structured to provide those opinions and ideas and keep the system functioning are now stacked with people with reactionary, conservative, ideological ideas. Extraordinary. Criminality. Criminality. Let's move on. Personal responsibility. The new COVID-19 mantra. Isn't it interesting how things change? It's all about personal responsibility. Well, I'm sorry. It's not about personal responsibility. It's about we. We, we, we. Are we members of a community or are we isolated individuals? Are we productive citizens or are we cringing, carping complaining consumers. Are we citizens of a country? Or as I said before, are we just consumers who have the ability to complain? And that's about it. It's not about personal responsibility. When health is an issue, we are part of a community, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's bowel cancer, whether it's 
you know, whatever it is. We are part of a community. It's all very well having the resources, you know, to tackle your obesity issue. It's another thing having rules in place which assist people to tackle these issues. It's one thing giving industry carte blanche to do what they like. It's another thing helping the individual to address those particular issues, whether it's obesity, whether it's addiction, whatever it is. I mean, the huge issues that the United States and to a lesser degree Australia had with uh, drug of dependence, you know, legal drugs of dependence issue, was directly related to the pharmaceutical industries not being regulated in terms of what they could do and what they could not do and the great social harm that it created and the deaths that it's created and the problems it's created in society. It's the same with sugar. It's the same with, you know, the artificial ingredients which are put in so much packaged food. It's the same, the fact, it's all very well saying to people, you've got to eat fresh. But most, many people can't afford to eat fresh and they need to rely on packaged food. And if packaged food is basically fat and sugar and there is no cost to that particular company in terms of the social and human damage it causes, well, then they will continue on their merry way because it's all about making a buck. Because in a capitalist society, if you run a business and you don't make a buck, well, you go bankrupt. And if you go bankrupt and you've given your home as security, if you're a small business person, what that actually means is you lose your home. Simple. So it's not just about personal responsibility. We all take personal responsibility every day of our lives. But there are issues which go beyond personal responsibility. And, And the way you deal with a pandemic goes beyond personal responsibility. It goes to having adequate health care. It goes to having enough access to public health resources. It goes to having access to the diagnostic uh, criteria you need, things like rat tests. And, and the debacle we just recently have about poorly paid workers getting a few days off paid leave at 750 bucks, you know, if they've got COVID-19, so they don't have to go to work in order to meet their financial responsibilities. So it's more than personal responsibilities. We are part of a community. It's not just me, 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 me. When it comes to taxes, we are part of a community. When it comes to obeying the laws, we are part of a community. But when it comes to health issues, it's all about me. It's all about my personal responsibility. Well, that's a load of garbage. Let's move on. Talking about me. Now, the House of Saudi thrives courtesy of the US of A. Now, it was nice to see President Biden, President of the Brave and the Three, the US of A, going down to kowtow to the House of Saudi in Saudi Arabia. It was nice, wasn't it? Nice to see. Now, it was interesting to see the media response. The media response was based on the death, the murder, the liquefaction of a one journalist. Where was the debate about the fact that this feudal monarchy, this evil feudal monarchy, 
which executes people publicly, cuts, cut off 82 heads in one day in public squares around Saudi Arabia a few months ago, that liquefies, you know, cuts apart and liquefies its enemies, that has some of the most evil, repressive legislation on the planet, which makes the Taliban look like school kids. Why is the House of Saudi, this medieval, feudal monarchy, thrived? The key word is thrived, not existed, thrived for so long. Well, courtesy of the US of A. Was there any discussion about the American bases in the House, in the house of Saudi, in so-called Saudi Arabia? No. Was there any discussion about the war in Yemen, which has been going on for five years, which has made what's happening in the Ukraine to a significant degree look like a children's picnic? A war which has been conducted by the House of Saudi, supported by the US government. Was there anything about that? No. So think about it. Was there any discussion about the US fleet, which is based in Bahrain, another part of that feudal monarchy in the Middle East? So let's look at all these situations because we need to understand what's happening. And how about the war in Ukraine? Do you ever hear anything more about the war in Ukraine? Is it the people of Ukraine have been sacrificed in this war with Russia? so that the US can actually concentrate on its main, in inverted commas, enemy, China? And is there any discussion about how we are being dragged into this particular horrific situation? No. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscan. If you're interested in what we're talking about... YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. If you want to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, it's very simple. You can join online. You can get an application form sent to you. Uh, think about it. Pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Other, you can email us at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Pipsy.info at pipsy.net. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. Public housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. And the list goes on and on and on. And you can always write letters to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. As I said before at the beginning of the program, look, we may be Don Quixote, but remember, we're not trying to destroy the windmill. We're trying to destroy the sails and replace the sails. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.